Hi guys! Today's episode features brief mentions of suicide and struggling with mental health, so if this is triggering for you, consider this your trigger warning. Enjoy the episode! Hey guys! Welcome back to Pinnies and Underrated. I'm Elif. And I'm Charlotte. And today we're going to be talking about friendships, relationships, boundaries, does it make you selfish to establish boundaries, and everything along those lines. Alright, let's start this off with a question that we were actually talking about earlier. So do you think it makes you selfish to establish boundaries? Absolutely. Here is why. Because when you hear selfish, you think um, self-centred, self-serving. Negative, um, inher- yeah. Negative, exactly. They all have negative connotations. But self-serving and selfish aren't negative things. You're just putting yourself first. And at the end of the day, if that's what you need for your sake, then why shouldn't you be putting yourself first? Why shouldn't you be selfish? So yes, I do think creating boundaries are selfish, but I don't think it's selfish in a negative way. I think it is good to be putting yourself first, which is what selfishness is anyway. Exactly. I really think it's important that we redefine our perception of selfishness and whether it's inherently bad, which we don't think it is. So when we talk about establishing boundaries, I think what it means to me anyway is kind of establishing where you're happy for the relationship to go, where you don't want it to go, what makes you comfortable versus uncomfortable, what you want to talk about versus what you don't want to talk about. Really just exercising some control over the environment to make sure that it's accommodating for both of you. And it's a two-way thing, don't get me wrong. It's not them bending over backwards so you feel more comfortable. It's you two having a healthy, open conversation to establish, you know, a best-case scenario for the both of you so you can get the most out of your relationship. And not just, like, relationship, relationship, friendships, Mm. family, all kind of relationships, even workplace and, um, you know, school-place relationships, they all need boundaries. And while it can feel, like, awkward or weird to kind of set them or establish them in the first place... It will pay off in the long run. What, are, what? Okay. What are some examples of boundaries that you have set, or like, have they gone well? Are they badly? And like, what scenario was it that you had to set those boundaries? I think for me, it's been a mixed bag because I used to be one of the least confrontational people you've ever met. I mean, despite what my Aries may say, my Aries son, we analysed my natal chart and they were like, "You're so <laughs> confrontational." But in the past, I wasn't, and I think it was just because I was really afraid to possibly upset people. But if you do it in a respectful way, it's not upsetting. So for example, um, this is actually quite specific to me, but I had a couple of my friends that would constantly make comments about their body image or their relationship with food. And I personally found that a bit triggering and I just didn't want to hear it. It wasn't a part of my day that I wanted to be a part of my day, but it was becoming a daily occurrence. So I just very politely said, look, you don't mean to, but these comments, I just don't appreciate them. Could you, would you mind just maybe not making them out loud, just refraining from talking about that with me? Is that okay? And the people were like, yeah, sure. And immediately the problem was solved. Okay, so that's really good. That's a positive experience of setting boundaries. Have you had a negative experience of setting boundaries or just kind of being like, you're overstepping here? Um, I think I have had a couple of experiences like that, but personally, it kind of made me realise that the friendship wasn't worth it because we weren't willing to see eye to eye and we weren't willing to compromise for each other, which meant that we kind of just drifted from that point onwards. But honestly, it was no great loss and I think we're better off now. So what about you then? Have you established any boundaries recently? Um, yes, with you. Okay, listen, the only reason is Charlotte's love language is very touchy-feely. I'm not... And so, you know, Charlotte respects that. But I think I found a much different response versus when I'm making boundaries with girls and when I'm making boundaries with my guy friends. Because Mm. like, well, anyway, we were talking about this earlier um, and we were kind of discussing about how all male friends will kind of take advantage either of your friendship or, I don't know, just the 
the fact that they're like attracted to you and then if you do try and create this like create a boundary there it's just kind of like that's it that's it that's the relationship done because like they can't get anything out of that from you so it's like okay well I don't want to be friends with you anymore because it's like I can't get anything out from it so why should I continue to be friends with you is the experience I've had anyway I think this is a really really big example of where sometimes it's not worth establishing boundaries because if the friendship just crumbles when you attempt to do so it wasn't a friendship worth saving anyway so let's be really clear that this isn't specific to any person any gender this is an experience we've had with lots of genders but for me personally I've had this with a few guys I've deemed that we're friends we've been talking whatever whatever and then it kind of arises that they're attracted to you or they only want a certain thing from you and then as soon as you make it clear that you're not interested they will just drop you they just don't want to talk to you anymore and it's like so I perceive this as a friendship what did you perceive it as then you just talking to someone you're attracted to a ticket to I don't know what what were you wanting from this well because like the culture around growing up as a man or being like growing up boys in general um is that they're entitled to things they're entitled to women because well everything they see our bodies are being commodified for so why shouldn't they feel entitled to us and then when they don't get that when they're like oh what you don't like me back what I don't get to fuck you now like that's it that's the end of it for them because that's not something they're used to and like yeah you could say oh yeah but boys are used to rejection but it's different because like I don't know I don't maybe this is just my experience but they're all just so entitled We've created a culture where it's safe for them to push the boundaries and be a bit arrogant and act entitled, but it's completely unsafe for anyone else to do the same thing because we know better. We know better than to push our luck because for many of us, it could result in a life or death situation in a very extreme example. And it's just, it's just not worth it. But also like we understand how uncomfortable it is. Mm. But I don't, I don't know, like, it's not fair to sit back and say like, oh, boys don't have this experience, but that's just the common trend I've seen amongst guys. I was actually speaking to a few of my girlfriends recently because I did a good old rant on my private Snapchat story and then a few of them were replying and they were just echoing my experiences saying that the only guy friends they'd ever had dropped them when they learnt that they weren't attracted to them. So this this could be months of friendship just down the drain as soon as the person establishes that they're not, it's not a mutual attraction. And to me, it's just like, at that point, it's not worth establishing a boundary because you've sort of tried to do so because sometimes when they're going too far, they're pushing it and they're saying stuff you're not comfortable with and you're like, well, we're not on the same wavelength. Can you stop? Yeah. They're like, they they just stop everything. They just drop the yeah, friendship. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know how to dial it back. They're just like, nope, that's it. I'm dropping you. I'm done. All or nothing. I'm not getting what I want out of this. Yeah, exactly. All or nothing. But then this arises the question, can girls... Okay, I was having this discussion. It's been an ongoing discussion within my family. Can girls and boys be just platonically friends? Because, like, all the girls I know would be like, yeah, yeah. And all the guys I would know would be like, no. Like, at one point in our friendship, I've been attracted to you. And it's like, oh, like, why? Why? (laughs) There's nothing wrong with being attracted to somebody, but every single guy that I know that's been attracted to me has publicly exhibited it sometimes pushing the boundaries too far and at which point it's just uncomfortable and it's not like a harmless oh I think you're cute it's like whoa like can you chill out please can you back off yeah exactly back to your question though can girls and boys be friends platonically my first thought was well that's quite heterosexually like centered that's not very inclusive of people that are the same sex and are attracted to each other but then again that's the world we live in yeah the problem is specifically about men because the culture that they've grown up in is one that encourages them to be outlandish and to push the boundaries in the sa- in the way that people that aren't men wouldn't necessarily do because they just haven't been taught that this is an acceptable way for them to interact with people. 
I think I see very similar trends between the way that boys treat you with the entitlement to the way that family can treat you sometimes. Not just household, like extended family. You know, sometimes water is thicker than blood and just because you are related doesn't mean that they're entitled to anything from you, nor even physical affection. And I've seen a really common trend with a lot of people being like, they're almost guilt-tripped into giving their parents a hug, you know, giving their auntie a kiss when they don't want to. And I think that's equally as important that you can kind of establish what you're comfortable with and not comfortable with when you spend so much time with someone like your mum for instance definitely and this was echoed on our instagram polls and we asked them you know have you ever felt that families just overstep your boundaries solely because of the fact they are related to you and everyone was kind of just being like yes yes i also feel like this and i think it was 71 percent of people said yes my family have overstepped and tried to justify it on the fact that you know we're just related and someone said obviously not in a sexual way, but my mum just wants to kiss and hug me and I constantly tell her no or back off, but she doesn't respect my boundaries and then it's mean and unkind, like, because that is just what's expected. And then as soon as someone tries to establish that boundary and say, I'm not comfortable with that today, I'm not feeling it, like, it's considered rude. And even though that's not inherently sexual, I think it's important to note that a lot of stuff in our society, especially when you are young, especially a young female, the culture is really hypersexualized. So I know a lot of family members even, you know, playfully smack their their children on the bum. And just so many people just aren't comfortable with that. Like personally for me, oh, I hate it. Like that just could I couldn't imagine anything worse. Because it feels really wrong when that's an action that's really hypersexualized coming from your parents. And even if that's not at all the note it was meant in. You've got, to, you've got to accept that's how it comes across or that's how it feels. But then how can we expect girls to grow up, or even boys, how can we expect anyone to grow up and discern the difference between when it is, like, you know, parentally or when it is actually, like, sexually and unwanted? Like, how, how are we supposed to know the difference if that's what you've grown up with? And if your parents are doing it, why, why is it wrong for anyone else to do it? And so, like... It's hard to make that establishment between when is it okay and when is it not okay. I think when children are so impressionable, this is really dangerous because it's sort of, I know it's going to sound like I'm reaching, but I do truly believe that it, to an extent, blurs the lines between consent. Yeah. And it teaches you that consent doesn't really mean anything if it's a person that says they're entitled to you. If they're telling you they're allowed to do this, even if you don't want to, you've got to let them because they want to. And I can you not see how that's a really dangerous idea yeah. for impressionable young children? That, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And then that will reflect onto later relationships in their life because they've grown up with that. And then why shouldn't they expect that from every single relationship they have when they're an adult? And the next question we asked on the polls was, do your friends treat you like a therapist? 97% said yes. No way. Isn't that crazy? Because then obviously you'd think I'm the only I'm the only friend of this group that the ther- that's the therapist. But then what 97% of you said, yeah, I'm the I'm the therapist friend. We kind of all designate ourselves this role just because we feel like we have to help people. They're entitled to our our resources, our attention, our time. We automatically go, well, I am now the designated therapist friend. The fact that that's even a trope to begin with. But it's so, so harmful. And, you know, so many people in our polls echoed the way that they felt about this. But I think it's just when you're accounting for somebody else's mental health, somebody else's well-being, especially in like, for example, our instance, when we're not even adults yet, when you're still a teenager, you're vulnerable, you've got a lot to be thinking about you can barely look after yourself let alone another person and then there's also the side that you're guilt tripped into thinking that you're not doing enough you should be going out of your way to make the sad person's life easier when again that's not your responsibility 
But I have to say, like, I definitely took on this therapist friend trope. Like, well, I I don't know if I still do, but I've, I've been trying not to. But from my situation, I was doing it to other people. Like, I was pushing myself on to be this therapist, to take mm. on everyone's problems. Probably as a way to distract myself from my own. But either way, like, no one was asking for it. No one was saying, Elif, Elif, please listen to my problems. I was opening myself up to it. And so obviously when that had an effect on me, I didn't really have anyone else to blame except myself. Like, okay, well, I was the one going around and being like, tell me all your problems, tell me all your problems. Like, you're fine. Like, I, I'm, you know, this is a safe space, whatever. And this is. But the difference is like, I was taking on too much of the fact I was overwhelmed by it and it wasn't good for me. And so I couldn't tell the difference from when I was just being a helpful friend and when I was becoming a therapist at age, age 15. Do you know what? That actually rings so much truth for me that it's really scary because I remember being about 12 and being, I don't know, year eight. And every morning in registration, I'd sit in this chair, the spinny chair before the teacher came in and I put my glasses down on my nose. It was like a class joke, but they were like, Tina the therapist. Tina was my nickname. <laughs> they were like, this is Tina the therapist. And they'd all come up to me and they'd like individually tell me their problems because even what? at the age of 12, I'd established myself as that person. Like, fair enough. I'd pushed, I'd like put this upon myself I'd push myself out there open the doors as such to establish that I was willing to listen to people's problems but actually it was just a way to kind of validate myself and then it spiraled really yeah. out of control and people started telling me things that fr- frankly I didn't want to know and I because I had didn't have the slightest idea of how I could help them but then I felt guilty because I wasn't providing any help at all but I was yeah. 12 like what was I supposed to do about the fact that my my friend had depression like I can't do anything yeah. In the instances of mental health, it's really important that you navigate this well. And there's a difference, obviously, between listening to your friend, providing support when they absolutely need it versus opening the doors to a torrent of of, of weight and responsibility that you don't need to be a part of your life. But there is absolutely nothing against referring them on to somebody else as such if it's getting yeah. too much for you. For example, if you're at school and they've told you something that's genuinely worrying and you think that they need, you know, intervention, there's no problem with setting up that intervention for them so you can get the burden off your shoulders exactly and i've found that okay in the instances when i'm when i used to i don't do it anymore but when i used to like overly open myself up and make myself overly available but in the instances where people are pushing their problems onto me and offloading onto me without like consent from my end being like yeah it's okay like i'm okay to talk about this right now like when people are calling you up at three in the morning saying i'm gonna kill myself i just i used to obviously sit down and like feel so worried and feel so guilty and write paragraphs and paragraphs of like anything because obviously I'm a child like what what am I supposed to do but now I can kind of just be like okay I'm calling the police they're coming to your house like this isn't this isn't my problem because at the end of the day I am a child and I'm not your therapist and I'm not there to make sure you're not killing yourself and even from the other perspective, if we're trying to completely establish that you are the most safe you can be, literally the safest option would be in that instance to call the police, to talk yeah. to your parents, to have someone that's more capable than an untrained teenager looking mm. after you. But then also I can understand from the other person's perspective that they don't see any other options because they're you're the person that they trust. And so while to you it may seem like they're just offloading, they're, they're thinking this is my one person I can trust. This is my one person I can go to about my problems. And it could feel like a bit of a betrayal if you're not there for them, which is why the therapist friends in quotation marks could feel guilty and, you know, overwhelmed, which is usually the case. And for 97% of our listeners, which is insane. I still can't believe that number. 
equally, I think a way that this applies more generally than, you know, the occasional person that's really not going well. It's, and this mm. is completely something that both Elif and I have engaged in, is called of offloading onto a space such as a private story. And what that does, it kind of, it splurges the problem onto everyone while simultaneously not really solving it. And obviously you want a void, you want somewhere to talk to. And I've done this so many times, but I'm trying yeah. to, you know help myself realize that this isn't productive if I want to talk to somebody I always have a support network of people mm -hmm. that I can message individually I can call I can have a little rant we can talk it out whatever but just putting on a private story with 15 people who are like whoa okay like there's a difference between being annoyed that you've got a lot of homework and then putting some serious stuff on a private story and we're not blaming you you ha you're having it hard you need an outlet you feel you're completely bottled up and you want to scream into the void like that's okay we've all done it so many times but it's actually probably more detrimental to everyone involved to just whack it on yeah. a story and call it a day than have a proper productive conversation with one or two people where you'll get more out of it you both will because then not only the people on your private story then they feel obliged to talk to like say something then you if they don't reply then you yourself you're feeling bad then you're thinking why didn't they reply am i being a burden i shouldn't have done that and then the people watching are like oh my god like i should have replied i'm a bad friend it just is negative for all parties involved um but then again like what what else is there because if you don't feel you have an outlet you don't feel you have a support system sometimes that's just people will have what they have to resort to and I don't blame them for that I don't think it's a bad thing and it's not something we're saying you have to stop doing this right now but it's something that I found it really helpful to consider like why am I doing this why do I feel the need to do this how can I address these yeah. problems more productively because literally like a month ago I put maybe even less I put something on my private story just like ranting about something that I probably shouldn't have just splurged onto a platform like that and then Elif replied and she was like whoa 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 what are you doing what are you doing <laughs> and I was like okay okay you're right because I was really worked up but then I was like okay it's not helpful I took it down yeah. had a chat with Elif we worked through it we had a chat I felt better it was fine I just didn't need to splurge all my problems onto a platform that guilt tripped people into talking to me when as I've always preached that's not their responsibility so what have been your experiences in this sort of area then I mean, yeah, like I've said, I've had people calling me at three in the morning being like, I'm going to kill myself. But this one time, like, um, wasn't really a friend. The thing is, like, they weren't a really close friend of mine. Mm, they were just I've kind of an acquaintance. And I've actually found that more that, like, people I'm not really close with feel more entitled to my time mm. than my actual close friends. Like, my more, my best friends are more, like, apologetic when they're, like, just ranting or just saying something. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I shouldn't be saying, well, it's fine. Like, this is, I'm here for that. Um... But then people who like barely know me, they just, I don't know. Yeah, suddenly you have someone who's very fragile, their life is in your hands, their well-being is in your hands, and you don't know what the hell you're meant to do because you're not yeah. a trained mental health professional. You've read a couple of articles out of desperation on Google, but you don't know what to do. And it's yeah. not your job to know what to do. You're not trained in it. You don't have a degree in it. What do you say? You obviously, if it's a critical... Okay, I think this kind of... If it's in a really critical state, everything kind of outweighs what we've just said. Just do what it takes to get them to safety because that is yeah. the most important thing. But I think we're talking get... about like recurring patterns though. Yeah, if like it's recurring. Are constantly doing this to you. If it's recurring, then this is obviously a problem in, your, in their life and you need to get them professional help as quickly as possible and as well as you can. No, no, I'm talking about like if people are constantly and recurringly offloading onto you and like kind of coming up every single night being like da -da 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 -da, and you've already made an effort to 
try and get help then obviously there's a certain point when you have to cut yourself off from that situation and say no like this is too much for me I'm gonna refer you to this person but I can't do this anymore like I'm yeah. not talking to you or I'm not even to that point but just like you know but if if like you said it is a critical like one-off situation then obviously do what you can to get them safe I think there's a certain point where it's almost an abuse of friendship and yeah it's because you recognize if you recognize that this has made the person uncomfortable and they've tried to express this to you and you continue to offload onto them when they don't want you to that's when it's bad and i just want to be completely crystal clear we're in no way saying that anyone who struggles with mental health or anything like that is selfish or wrong for trying to get support from their friends because that's completely understandable but it is worth recognizing that they are not the right people to help you that doesn't mean you're wrong for wanting support wherever you can find it but especially if they've expressed to you that this makes them uncomfortable you need to find the support in a better place so yeah we asked our polls have you ever been in a situation where your friend's safety has been placed onto your shoulders and a majority of 57 percent said yes that's a lot of people I think it's a more universal experience than we think it is, especially when you're in an environment such as school where so many people are suffering, so many people don't have an outlet, so many people don't know what to do that they'll kind of just splurge it to anyone who will listen or anyone who makes themselves readily available. I think that the way we interact with people is so interesting and it kind of deserves a lot more thought than we put into it because the way we interact with people has a massive effect on the way we feel, the way we act, like how Mm. our day is going. And it's worth making sure that those experiences are as pleasurable as they can be. And someone like me, I find that if I talk to somebody for too much, just the way that I operate, I kind of get a bit burnt out, a bit drained if I spend too much time talking to anybody. I really value time on my own. And I feel there's a certain pressure to just always be talking to somebody, always be really lively and again you're you're selfish if you want to take time for yourself if you want to turn down the invitation from your best friend purely because you want to stay at home and i don't know watch netflix or whatever but to me that there's literally nothing more important than doing what you want to do to keep yourself happy and comfortable and i mean these people class themselves a lot of these people sort of class themselves as introverts whereas those who are really social say in theory that they're extroverts but so many people that I talk to say that they're not really an introvert or an extrovert and everyone resonates with the term ambivert because they think they're a bit of both and I think I think I'm an ambivert yeah I would by definition I'd call myself an ambivert maybe a bit more of an introvert but at the same time I think it's kind of trying to confine us to a personality type where really yeah you know the way you feel is completely reactionary it's based on the people you're around the experiences that you that you experience and there's no expectation for you to react in a set way to the situation that you're in because it's actually a lot more personal than we'd like to think but i see the same thing with like you know personality tests you know are you an infp and enx i don't know what the letters stand for but like and there's been this difficult person test like going around on tiktok how difficult a person you want to be with um I hate it. Yeah, and I don't understand, like, why we're so desperate to group ourselves into boxes, like, extra, introvert, um, difficult person, not a difficult person, oh, I'm I'm 75% easy to be around with, like, I don't know, like, we're so obsessed with categorising ourselves that I feel like we internalise this and we expect people to just kind of react, like, yeah, in a set way rather than to our surroundings. Our society has a really peculiar interest in tangibility and if something isn't tangible it's not worthwhile. For instance if the test doesn't say that you're 45% a difficult person to be around rather than 65% then you know it's not it's not worth your time. Like this stupid test it's like you answer a bunch of questions which are actually really like they're really circumstantial but then they 
like for Aleph and I, we we got a pretty similar result. Like, because we have self confidence. A lot of the questions were like, "Do you think that you match the people around you?" And we were like, "Yeah." Like, do you think you're unique and talented? We were like, yeah. And then it came back and you were like, you are a pretty difficult person to be around. And we were like, what? <laughs> like, what? And then, like the little segment that says like self-conceit is like all the way to the top. Yeah, I know. Because then I saw on TikTok, a lot of people in the comment sections were like, yeah, I literally got 10%. You guys are like so difficult. And I was like, what? Yeah. Like, what What answers would you have to be putting? And just the answers we were putting were just quite reasonable. Just quite, yeah. you know, balanced. Like, obviously it's personal to us, but it wasn't overly conceited. And I'm like, how do you get 12%? Like... <laughs> There's this really weird obsession with trying to shrink yourself down and make yourself the most palatable and saying, I'm not difficult at all. Here's proof in a percentage that isn't even representative of who you are as a person. Because the questions, as we said, were Off of like six questions, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's so stupid. It's like, how are you supposed to gauge off off who someone is? Not even in 30 questions. It's like a 12 question test and they're like, nope, you're alone forever. (laughs) Wonderful. Great. Thanks. And don't get us wrong, Elif and I have this really strange obsession with like things like astrology, with personality tests, like Hogwarts houses, whatever. We love them, but we can... Okay, Elif's looking at me like, no, I'm the one with the Hogwarts house obsession. That's just you. I'm a Gryffindor, guys, in case you didn't know. Um, oh yeah, but... she's just she's re-updated our house. What were you before? I was a Hufflepuff, but that was when I was a pushover. And this isn't Hufflepuff slander at all, but I was such like an insecure person. I was always a Gryffindor at heart, but I never let that shine through. And then I retook the... I retook took the Hogwarts test the other day and it came back as Gryffindor and I was so happy I was like this is who I am <laughs> oh to be honest on the on the subject of like palatableness when like obviously when I was a, more of a child I'm not saying I'm not a child now, but when I was a child child and I took this Harry Potter test like secretly in my bedroom I was sitting like doing all the Harry Potter tests and like every time I did it I either got um like Slytherin or Ravenclaw and I was so so upset obviously being yeah. Slytherin is now trendy because of Draco or whatever on TikTok everyone's in love with him but when I got that as a child I was so upset I was devastated so I would like research how to get either Gryffindor or Hufflepuff <gasps> because I was like I want to be nice like I don't want people to think I'm horrible like Slytherin are horrible people and obviously it's bullshit because it's just like four random houses of made up books but it like I was set in my brain like I can't be a Slytherin I can't be a Slytherin they're horrible they're disgusting people like why would I want to be that and so like me being palatable was more important than just like what taking a Harry Potter test yeah genuinely you lie on a on a fictional test just so (laughs) a test result could tell you that you're a more enjoyable person to be around but like even if you've got a this is quite a good metaphor to be honest because being Slytherin isn't inherently bad it's being analytical it's being cunning it's being (laughs) It's being outspoken. It's being bold. That's not. They're not bad traits. None of them are bad traits. But you know, sometimes they people frame them in a bad light and they compare them to you know being lovable, being fun loving, being you know whatever, yeah. whatever. And it just doesn't account for the fact that people's personalities differ. People get on with others better than they get on with you know certain people, and it's just. You can't make a generalisation as broad as that. Like, you're a good person, you're a bad person. This is a good trait, this is a bad trait. You are 65% good, you are 35% bad. Listen, I don't know how this topic is strayed from, like, um, what are we talking about? Boundaries with, like, a male friends and toxic friend groups and stuff into your Harry Potter house defines you. But... We were talking about palatability and how, like, we all want to be palatable and nice people. And so, <laughs> sorry for deviating from that. But, yeah... 
being palatable is kind of accommodating the people around you and we we've this has been a common theme of where it's important to establish boundaries the moment that you feel you have to make adjustments to your natural self in order to i know be more enjoyable or be more palatable for someone that's around you that's not a friendship that's worth keeping if you have to change yourself obviously this is a really basic principle but if you have to make changes to yourself in like a natural situation then like what are you doing why are you wasting your time there I think for me, having to shrink yourself down is a massive red flag that the person you're around isn't worth your time and the relationship Mm. isn't worth the investment. So what do you think are some other red flags for that sort of thing? We actually took this to the polls and let's see what they said. So when we asked the polls, like, what are some red flags um, for relationships and friendships in general? um, The overall consensus was making you feel drained, one-upping you, gaslighting you, um, when they can't admit that they're wrong, although... That is a toxic trait of mine. Um, if you feel constantly under attack, constant competition, that sort of stuff. Um, and I think the general consensus was if you have a toxic friendship, you don't have to completely like cut them off or get rid of them out of your life. Setting boundaries is all that you may need and just prioritising yourself. And like we said, being selfish because that isn't a bad thing. I think that really rings true for me because I've had a few friendships where I thought it wasn't entirely productive. There were from mm. both sides some toxic traits and I think I've always I always thought in those friendships it would be better for us if we had some boundaries, had some distance and we could still enjoy each other's company without it being stifling. And I think that's the key thing. Sometimes it can feel too much, a bit too overwhelming. At which point you just if you feel you can, it's the best idea is just to have an open conversation and be like, look, I feel like this is getting a bit much for me. I don't know how you feel, but I'd be really interested in having a conversation with you. Maybe, I don't know, as harsh as it sounds, spending a bit less time together because this is feeling quite overwhelming at the moment. I value the friendship enough that I don't want to throw it away and I want to work with you so we can make it better for both of us. Like, communication is key and it's so daunting and it's really hard to do that. But I think you'll be surprised at how much of a difference it makes. And to be honest, I've found that, like, if it's if it's someone toxic that I've just kind of become friends with in the short term, I don't really have a problem with just cutting them off completely. Mm. But th- I think the hardest time is when it comes to people that you've grown up, t- like, with as best friends, like, from children, from childhood, because, I don't know, you feel way more attached to them. It's, like, it's much harder to cut off from that. And it's just, like, just because you grew up as best friends does not mean that they are entitled to you mm-hmm. if they are a drain on your life. I've been really lucky that the I really haven't maintained very many friends from um, primary school but the ones I have maintained I'm extremely close with especially my best friend that's been my best friend since we were three and we're just lucky that that's always been a really healthy like productive relationship but I know a lot of people feel really trapped because you know their childhood best friend in them they drifted they grew at different rates they're not as compatible now as they used to be we talked a lot in our last episode about compatibility and I think this is really true here as well. So what for you, Alice, then? Is it like a specific red flag? It's like, is there anything that you hear immediately and you're like, no, 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 that we need to sort this out right now? To be honest, seeing how they treat other people or like how they talk about other people when they're not there mm. is my biggest red flag. If they're, all they do is constantly slag people off like behind other people's back, like why wouldn't they be doing about me? If yeah. that's all they're doing, it's like, if all we do is gossip, like if that's the only thing we have in common, it's just like gossip, 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 then like, well how am I supposed to expect them not to do that about me like there's no why would I expect that from them and that's probably my biggest red flag because like yeah how about for you what's your biggest red flag oh for me definitely when they sort of express discomfort about you being honest or even try and manipulate you into kind of feeling apologetic that you express something or if you're feeling uncomfortable for expressing something you're kind of sitting there thinking god I wish I hadn't said that like why 
in in a friendship i like i mean for example Ella and i's friendship i don't think there's anything that's ever gone unsaid we're just lucky that we're very in tune with each other and we feel that we're able to communicate well and openly but i just can't yeah, imagine but even if we aren't in tune though even if we aren't in tune it's still that's the whole point the yeah whole point exactly is that we can communicate what isn't in tune I hate friendships when it feels like you're walking on eggshells or there's some sort of unspoken tension mm. between you. That is just so draining. I've noticed that like a lot with my toxic friends. <laughs> I've had a few. Um, but like the people that I found the trend in is like, they will ask me something, I'll reply honestly, and then they won't be happy with my response. And I'm just like, what did you expect? That you <laughs> you asked me for the truth. I gave you the truth. You can't handle the truth. Sorry. <laughs> um, you asked me I told you an honest response and then you get mad that I was honest and it's just like I don't want to waste my time on this why am I wasting my energy on you I'm not I'm not that's it that's done like if I've if you've asked me for something I've been honest with you and then you get mad at my honesty that's it like that's the end of that because like why would I why would I waste my time on that obviously this is again is circumstantial and it it applies to situations where it's productive to be honest and you're not like yeah 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 I just think there's a bit of scope there sometimes (laughs) for people to twist that and turn it on its head and be like well I was just being honest and then like they're actually unnecessarily being a bit of a dick but obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. Use, course, your, use your wiser judgment for that no i'm talking about situations where it's like just genuine communication and then like if you're attempting to really like work productively and then they get annoyed that you've tried to put this into place where you've done it like completely respectfully or whatever so we asked on our polls how do your toxic friends make you feel and we had a lot of people saying like restricted in myself um i really get what we got was you feel stupid for putting in all of your effort to get nothing in return and i think that is like a major part of toxic friends is if it's not equally like a two-way street exactly if you feel like you're doing all the work in the relationship be it romantic or platonic or just you know a normal sort of relationship that is definitely again a red flag for me and because you know we all know that friendships are meant to be two-way but it's it's really easy to know this in principle but then in practice you sometimes feel like oh you're texting the other person more than than the other person is texting you and those are all things to pay attention to and kind of gauge where you're both at and again it's productive to have a conversation if you feel like you're not on the same page just gauge where they are too but then also like I don't want to have to feel obliged to reply to people just to like keep it even like like a balancing scale um like I don't want it to be some sort of balancing act that I'm constantly doing which is like an essential part of a good friendship is just like okay well sometimes it's okay to not always be 50 50 but when it's constantly not 50 50 then it's like okay well why am I here why are we here yeah exactly but that's why communication is important because everything we do is circumstantial and you feel a lot better if you can understand where both parties are coming from and their reasonings and their thoughts and if you have that open conversation it makes it so much easier definitely and we also asked in our polls do you think you have toxic traits and I'm glad to see that 83% of people said yes I'm not really sure what those 17% of people that said no were thinking because we all have toxic traits and no one is perfect. That really gives me big energy of my toxic trait is that I think I don't have any toxic traits and honestly if you think you there's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing that could come across as a bit toxic in certain situations that's probably an issue. Like for me I think one of my biggest toxic traits I'll just say right off the bat is that I victimise myself and I find it really easy to victimise myself yeah, and automatically think... 
automatically think, oh, the world's against me. I must, you know, there must be something going wrong. Like I'm just on the receiving end of it. Whereas nothing is ever as clear cut as that. And it's important that, as I said, we recognise these toxic traits so we can work on making conversations more productive because now that I have an awareness of this, it makes it easier for me to look at stuff more objectively than emotionally. What do you think your biggest toxic trait is then, apart from victimisation? I don't have victimization. That's you. Uh, you just said I agree, though. You agreed with me. No, I agree that you have victimization. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. One of my toxic traits is I can be a bit a bitch. Um, so, what do you think is your toxic trait then? Um, definitely the Taurus sun in me being way too stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> can we not blame everything on the stars? Um, yeah, being way too stubborn or just like. Mm, I don't know yeah I can't really admit when I'm wrong sometimes or like I don't know yeah no I do know I do know that's what it is that's that's really ironic you're going I don't know what's wrong with me but I do know I do know really I just don't want to admit it (laughs) but I'm admitting it I am way too stubborn and also like yeah I can just be a bit of a bitch sometimes like I don't think I'm as sensitive as I need to be sometimes to people like I I'm not I don't I think I have quite high emotional intelligence when it comes to it but like Sometimes I just don't have the energy, like, I don't put in the energy to, like, be considerate of what people may be feeling. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> wait, 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 what did Beep. I say about me? What, what was my toxic trait that I was superior? <laughs> Actually, I have been told by someone that I have a superiority complex, so that was nice. That was, that was nice. Although it probably is worth noting that this was from somebody that had a pre-existing grudge against Elif, so it might not be entirely <laughs> reflective of her character. <laughs> I have found a lot that, like, as soon as I started not hating myself, it was kind of like, you think you're better than everyone else. Yeah. You're in love with yourself. And it's like, yeah, I am in love with myself. What are you going to do about it? And what are you going to do about it? (laughs) I think a lot of people are genuinely intimidated by seeing somebody so secure because instantly you're not an easy target that they can use to protect onto and build themselves up and we've covered this many times but it's just people are so intimidated by confidence and as somebody who's been the extreme of both well maybe not the extreme (laughs) I definitely hated myself and as someone who's very drastically far from that point now it's really interesting to see how people treat you at both extremes like at both extremes people kind of I don't know they they treat you it kind of feels unnatural they don't really know how to handle it because we're used to women being palatable and passive and not liking ourselves. Oh, 100%. It's so much easier for someone to take advantage of you when you're taking advantage of yourself and you're being mean to yourself anyway. Yeah. But when you're making it your mission to stick up for yourself and treat yourself with respect or whatever, that that makes their job 10 times harder because you're not having any of it. Basically, Definitely. Yeah, and I've noticed that like people that I I wasn't really friends with, but like you know, I got along with them and then they started just having like this deep hatred for me. And I was like, what, like, what is your problem? Like, what, <laughs> what do you have against me? And they're just like, you've changed. You have changed. It's like, what? I've changed. I don't hate myself anymore. Okay, cool. Don't want to be friends with you then. Like, it's so much easier to weed people out. Like, because then you know who, who respects you for you and who is taking advantage of your lack of self-respect to project themselves onto you. I've had a really similar experience in that it's not necessarily people outwardly using it like to to put me down but I've also had a lot of people make jokes that definitely weren't jokes they're joking but it's not a joke and it's stuff like oh what's podcast girl gonna do oh you're gonna debate me oh what's the left-wing girl gonna do like oh miss morals da, 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 da. like we were having a class discussion 
and then I was in the loo and they were talking about something quite you know politically involved and I walked back in and this one girl actually turned around she went oh look there's Miss Morality what's she gonna say and I was a bit like um sorry what it, it kind of like it has undertones of almost a little bit of maybe this wasn't the intention but it this sort of stuff has undertones of a bit of resentment against the fact that I know where I stand and I'm kind of quite strong-willed mm. and I don't know it just doesn't sit right with me do you know what I mean because the thing I've noticed is the people who kind of dislike what I say the most are the people who don't really have opinions. Like, yeah. the, the people who will be like, oh, well, I don't agree with that. It's like, okay, well, what do you think then? They're just like, I don't know, like, just, I don't know, like, I'm kind of just like in the middle, I guess. Like, I'm just kind of, you know, like, I'm, I'm you know, whatever. And they'll just kind of waffle on and be like, you know, you know, you know. It's like, I don't know. Please, please enlighten me. But that is the people who I found, like, are the most... I don't know, yeah, resentful. I'm just kind of like, well, I don't know, but like, why are you saying that? I don't like that. Their problem isn't that they disagree with you and they see a more like productive solution to what you're proposing. It's that they just want to disagree with you for the sake of it. Yeah, it's fun. It's entertainment for them. Whatever, I don't blame them. (laughs) Entertainment for me as well. (laughs) On that note, it kind of likes to go full circle and just remind you again that reacting to certain situations with friends, with boundaries is you know it's a selfish thing it depends on your interpretation of the situation but it's not negative and whatever feels right to you is the most important thing it sounds cheesy but you've really got to prioritize yourself and then everything else will fall into line because if you're talking down on yourself literally everyone else is going to talk down on you too and that's a trend that i've definitely observed please let us know if you enjoyed this episode um i think it's getting quite late now so we're going to wrap this up um if you want to join in on our next polls for the next fortnight's episode um you can go to at opinions underrated on instagram if you want to for some reason email us any resources or anything our email is also um at opinions underrated and every other media we have is in our description thank you so much for listening to this episode guys we'll see you in a fortnight bye guys bye guys what we're gonna put in the end because we need to put that little funny thing in because we're really funny. Might <laughs> 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 just put that in the end.